Welcome back to Food Safety EDU. This is Jeff Feldman, Mr. F. Um, I wanted to get back into the Coast Guard's TTP, Chapter 3. Okay, the intro, Chapter 3. Um, introduction. The chapter details techniques that food service personnel apply to prevent foodborne illnesses. Food service personnel acquire these techniques through formal initial sanitation training and annual refresher sanitation training when assigned to food service establishments. Alright, so here we have section A is the overview, section B is relevant personnel, C would be employee health and, uh, and screening, which is health standards, D is personnel inspections and personal hygiene, E is health practices, and F would be training and safety practices. So the overview says, Food service personnel are the most important link in the prevention of transmitting foodborne illnesses. Good hygiene, health, and food service techniques of the food service worker are essential factors in the well-being of patrons okay, and your crew. Practices of good personal hygiene and the application of recommended food service techniques are essential in preventing foodborne illnesses. Uh, it is important to ensure all food service personnel, both military and civilian, receive formal training before assignment to duty in food service establishments. Uh, per reference Tri-Service Food Code NAVMED 5010 series, civilian contractors are responsible for ensuring that their personnel are properly trained. Section B, Relevant Personnel. Uh, commanding Officer, per reference Safety and Environmental Health Manual, Commandantus 5100 series, the CO is responsible for ensuring that hazardous conditions are abated or controlled. Okay, person in charge. This is B2. And I did a whole podcast on the PIC, or person in charge, but this is in your TTP. So the PIC, or person in charge, per reference B, the Tri-Service Food Code, NAVMED 5110 series, the person in charge, PIC, is designated as the FSO, Food Service Manager or other designated individual. The PIC procures, receives, inspects, and stores wholesome food items within his or her respective food service activity. The PIC prevents foodborne illnesses at his or her establishment by ensuring the following practices occur as required by reference B, which is the Tri-Service Food Code. Uh, one, food facility operations are not conducted in private homes or living quarters. So you have to do everything in a galley, properly inspected place and uh, kitchen. Persons unnecessary to food establishment operations are not allowed in preparation, storage, or wear washing areas. So again, when I talked about the PIC and the other uh, podcast, when people come to visit, you don't allow them in the kitchen. You have the employee go out to visit them out on the mess deck or in the in the dining room. We don't want anybody who's dirty or carrying, you know, dog hair or who knows what they're carrying when they come to visit. So you keep them out. You know, um, you really have to watch. And that's another thing. When we have people come to uh, support us, right? The 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 plumbers and the maintenance guys, they come in and they put their tools. And I love them and I really appreciate them, honestly but they put their tools on our 
uh, workstations. And so their tools are in the mud and in the crap, and then it goes on to our workstations, which is on our prep tables. So whenever these people come in, um, you got to wash, rinse, sanitize, and air dry. You have to clean up after them. So once they move and go away, whatever equipment they were working on and the space that they were working, um, go ahead and clean it up uh, properly to make sure that nothing was left behind and nobody's going to get sick from... Uh, so there's a restaurant here in Santa Rosa um, and somebody came to fix the ice machine and the plumber, what do plumbers have all over them? Potentially, well, if they're working with sewers and stuff, they have crap all over them. And it got into the ice. And then 17 people got Shigella from drinking sodas at this restaurant. There was a big outbreak years ago um, from Shigella because of the ice. So we really have to uh, pay attention to who's in our operation and, uh, you know, control that. Okay. <clears throat> Employees follow appropriate hand washing guidance and personal hygiene practices. So again, clean uniforms every day, proper uh, personal hygiene procedures. So if you're going to cough or sneeze, you cough or sneeze into your elbow, right? You cover your mouth, make sure it doesn't go anywhere. Uh, every time you change from one thing to the other, or you're going to change gloves, you have to wash your hands. You can't just, you're not supposed to just put gloves on. Uh, you know, you have dirty hands, you put on new gloves. Well, when you're putting those gloves on, your left hand is contaminating the, the right glove, potentially. So we're supposed to, the answer to the test and the answer to proper procedure is to go and wash your friggin' hands and then put on gloves. Every time you change your gloves, you're supposed to do that, okay? So uh, employee checks food as they are received to verify sanitary conditions and that all discrepancies are reported to the PIC. So when we get a delivery, and this is what we used to do over at CIA, um, the food would come in, we had a scale right there, and you double check the quantity of your order. So the meat company, the fish company, they're delivering this stuff to you, right? And sometimes they, you order five pounds and they'll give you seven pounds. Okay, so that's two pounds more than you wanted because they want their money, okay? And maybe they didn't, you know, maybe they just grabbed whatever fish and it happened to come out to seven pounds. But you're paying, if, if it's, you know, $15 a pound uh, more, that's 30 extra bucks that you weren't counting on for, for your uh, order and the delivery. So you take the food, you put it on the scale, you double check their labeling and their weights um, because, you know, the weights and measures are a regulated thing. Um, here in California, we have a weights and measure and, you know, for people who sell things. And they have to be checked. Their scales have to be calibrated. Uh, and, and so we want to double check that because in this case, we're the customer. And when that stupid food comes in, we want to inspect it. We want to catch it now if it's crappy, if, if the potatoes already have eyes on them, if, if, uh, if it's green. So all these things that if you don't take the time to actually inspect the food coming in, then you're doing a disservice to yourself and, and your team. So... Um, employees check food that are as they are received right immediately and then put it away immediately don't let it sit out because if it sits out it's in the temperature danger zone and then shit stuff can happen so uh, you know and I get it years ago um, in in various places that I've worked the delivery would come in the stuff would sit on the floor for an hour or two hours before the guy would put it away um, it needs to get put away as soon as possible to protect it.
Okay. And we're, uh, where we are, we're a school, so we're teaching and training uh, the students, and they emulate us. So if, if we have to do the right thing all the time because they're watching us, everything we do, they're watching us, and they'll pick up our habits, good, bad, ugly, whatever. Um, okay. Appropriate hand washing guidance, personal hygiene practices so everybody's clean and sanitary as they work. Those dirty aprons, um, that reminds me. So a lot of times the students, and I tell them in the, in the surf safe class. So we're giving the surf safe class nowadays at Trace and Petaluma. And it's a, it's a, a one-year pilot program to see if it's actually helping and working. So the students come in, and what I do in that class is I, I ask them, please, please have an extra apron somewhere because they work with the chicken, they work with the turkey, they work with all these things, and then they get bloody right their aprons are all bloody so the apron is meant to protect them and their uniform um, but then when it's bloody and dirty it needs to come off and go in in the laundry and they should put on another one so we do have plastic aprons and and um, when i see these things i i try real hard to remind them to to change out their aprons because it's our job as instructors to and other leaders too so out on the boats or other land units you know control your people and give them an extra friggin' apron so that they're not cross-contaminating with all that blood that's all over their apron. So uh, anyway, that's that personal hygiene stuff. They shouldn't be walking around all dirty. Uh, and then the other thing, there was other people, um, there was students who, um, you know, they have wounds on their face or they have wounds on their arm and then they pick at it. And it's like a, it's a habit that they, they pick at these scabs on their face and other you know, places, and now it's on their hand, and then they go back to work, and so you got to catch them, and you got to stop them, and you got to make them realize that when they pick those wounds, that's Staphylococcus, potentially, Staphylococcus aureus, and it's friggin' bacteria and nastiness that when they pick on their face and their, their whatever, and then they get, start working with food, um, you know, it's disgusting, so we have to break that habit of, of uh, picking at themselves. Okay. Um, employees follow proper cooking and holding techniques for potentially hazardous food, or the new term is TCS foods, or foods that need time and temperature control for safety. So it depends on which book you're training out of. But the FDA food code, right, it's changed every, every four years with an update every two years. Okay, so the FDA food code is the base for all of these things. The TTP, the Tri-Service Food Code, it's all taken from the FDA food code. Okay, um, but it takes time for each organization to update their book based on the food code. The food code is changed every four years with an update every two years. And so a lot of these, like the TTP and the Tri-Service Food Code, and the old Sandman, right, the sanitation manual, that was based on the 2001 food code. And it took a long time for it to finally be updated to this TTP. Um, and the TTP, like I said in the last podcast, is is that it's made to be updated uh, uh, more quickly than a manual. So this is a tactics and, t and training, um, which they can update more often or, you know, to be more in line with the, with the, the times, the, the food safety code. Okay. Um, so follow proper cooking and holding techniques for potentially hazardous food, PHF food, potentially hazardous food, or PHF was the old term. 
TCS is the new term, but it all depends on who you're talking to and which book you're reading. It means the same stuff. Okay, so I'm listening back to my... Uh, listening back. Why does that look so funny? Anyway, I'm listening back and realizing that I missed uh, cooking temperatures. So right now we talked about the FDA food code and so now it's updated 2017 food code and this is 2019 so they're going to come up with a supplement and in this portion where we talk about cooking temperatures and holding temperatures uh, I've already talked about the holding temperature on hot holding which is 135 degrees or better and the cold holding is 41 degrees or less right so your refrigerators your refrigeration should hold the food at 41 or less meaning that the machines need to be set less than 41 degrees to ensure that the food inside the refrigerator is 41 degrees or less, right? Um, so some people will set their machines, their refrigerators to like 39 degrees or 38 degrees because you're opening the door, closing the door, and then the machine has to overcome that. So we want to keep the food internal. So you go through and you check the internal temperature every once in a while. Um, in, in the training, we talk about monitoring, so you actually assign somebody. So in a restaurant, it might be sous chef or, or lead line cook. And at the beginning of shift or in the middle of the shift, you go, that person goes into the walk-in and, and, you know, temperatures three or four things with an internal probe thermometer to make sure that the internal temperatures of all the food in there, randomly sampled, is 41 or less. So that's holding temperatures. 135 or better for hot holding, 41 degrees or less for cold holding and then the cooking temperatures cooking temperatures so with the 2017 FDA food code the temperatures change so when you take your surf safe test or any of the other tests they're testing you at the new temperatures and time relationships so for poultry it's 165 degrees instantaneous instead of the 15 second thing right but the TTP you're still going out of 165 degrees for 15 seconds so you're supposed to put your thermometer in the chicken and hold it there the thermometer will reach 165 and then you wait 15 seconds to make sure that the temperature stays at 165 or better for 15 seconds okay so that's what the TTP says right now the food code and and the uh, food safety testing is 165 degrees instantaneous so you put your thermometer in there and it hits 165 you're done you know um, and that will come eventually when the TTP is updated okay on ground meat uh, minced chopped ground meats like beef pork and lamb uh, the temperature for the TTP is 155 degrees for 15 seconds again you cook a hamburger you poke it with your thermometer you leave the thermometer in there for 15 seconds um, for the new 2017 food code it says 155 degrees for 17 seconds so now you just keep your thermometer in there for an additional two seconds okay um, and then finally we have 145 degrees for 15 seconds for regular pieces of meat so when I talk, when you have a piece of steak, where's the bacteria? The bacteria is on the surface of the steak. It's wherever the butcher, the knife was when they were butchering out the animal. That's where the bacteria supposedly is. 
Um, so we go to 145 degrees. And then when you grind it, mince it, chop it, now where's all the bacteria? Okay, now it's all mixed up inside. So that's why we go to 155. And then all poultry, chicken, turkey, duck, squab, pheasant, all those things are poultry, so 165. Okay, um, so that's my cooking temps. And then vegetables, uh, 135 degrees, you cook your vegetables to 135, and then you put it on the steam line for at 135 if it's going to be hot held on a steam line. If you're simply sauteing some carrots to put it on somebody's plate for immediate service, there's no temperature uh, requirement. Okay, so that's that portion. I'll insert that into this portion. Okay, potentially hazardous food or TCS food includes milk and dairy products, meats, including beef, pork, lamb, any other kind of meat, <clears throat> fish, Baked potatoes made the list because botulism has grown in a baked potato potentially wrapped in foil. So baked potato in general has made the list. But I want to say it's the baked potato wrapped in foil because it can it creates that anaerobic environment in the foil. The spore-forming bacteria is from the ground, the dirt, and the dust that's on the potato or other vegetables. And if it's temperature abused, if that baked potato... Uh, or other TCS foods are, are temperature abused for enough time and um, temperature, so hours in the wrong temperatures, then the botulism spore can open, grow, and make somebody sick. So I have a whole FDA audio of a woman who went to a restaurant, had a baked potato, and then she got botulism and she was paralyzed, almost died, and they, they were able to uh, treat her and get her back not to normal because she was still messed up. You could tell that her speech was slurred. It's like having a stroke. Um, the body doesn't work the way it used to. So baked potatoes are on the list for TCS foods. Uh, tofu or other soy proteins. Synthetic ingredients like textured soy protein and meats, uh, meat alternatives. Okay. Uh, eggs are part, uh, TCS foods, uh, except those that are treated to uh, eliminate salmonella. <clears throat> so when I was uh, uh, at the restaurant, we would get regular eggs, 17 or $20 for a case of 15 dozen. And then if we needed to do certain things, or if we're a hospital or a nursing home and you have to have um, pasteurized shell eggs, they, they treat the shell eggs in a warm water bath for an amount of time over an hour at a certain temperature to pasteurize the inside and the outside of the egg without cooking it. So that 15 dozen eggs in a case is going to be like 50 or $60 for the pasteurized ones. So it all depends. Those They're there also. So, you know, you go down the store, you get unpasteurized eggs. But you can purchase pasteurized eggs if you're going to be making um, certain foods, especially if you're working in hospitals and nursing homes where you're uh, with high-risk populations. Okay, um, poultry is another TCS food. Shellfish and crustaceans. Heat-treated plant food, like cooked rice, cooked beans, cooked vegetables, if it's heat-treated, so again, like the baked potato, spore-forming bacteria are in the, uh, the bacteria is in the ground, the dirt, and the dust, okay? And if the ground, right, the dirt, the dust gets contaminated into the plant food, which is normal, if you don't wash it, you have dirt on there, so then the spores are potentially there because it's happened before, and so that's why these things have made the list. 
you heat treat it and it activates the spore it wakes it up so it was dormant for what hundreds of years or whatever it is in the dirt and then you take the carrot and then you cut it up and you saute it now you heat activated that spore in the dirt that was on the carrot because you didn't wash the stupid thing um, and even if you do wash these things you don't know if you got them all so we treat it with time and temperature control so we saute the carrot or we make the rice or we make the beans or we make the veg other vegetables and then we get it to a temperature of 135 degrees or better and then we hold it at 135 so on a steam line self-service line or, or uh, like if you go to a buffet there's the hot area and the cold area those temperatures are supposed to be above 135 degrees Fahrenheit uh, to prevent the spore bacteria it's there it hasn't open and grown but the temperature is preventing it from activate and growing right because you already activated when you when you heated it up it's like wake up wake up wake up and now it's ready to do something and if you let it sit on the table for four five six eight, ten hours then the bacteria grows and grows and grows and it grows to a level where people can get sick so you got to really control that all right uh sprouts and sprout seeds <clears throat> they're uh um, we don't serve sprouts and sprout seeds to high-risk populations and uh, because they're grown in a warm moist environment that <clears throat> have been linked to uh, foodborne illness outbreaks so if you just google sprouts and outbreaks you'll get a whole slew of things okay or you'll you'll uh, you go on the internet and you look up sprouts and foodborne illness outbreaks you'll come up with a whole bunch of uh, options I'm sure and finally untreated garlic well not finally but untreated garlic and oil mixtures the oil is an anaerobic no oxygen environment the garlic and the and the uh, rosemary and the thyme and the other things that you want to infuse into that oil are from where the ground the dirt and the dust so they have spore forming bacteria that's on them potentially they go into oil you warm up the oil and now you heat activated the spores and if you don't treat the garlic and oil mixture properly if you don't take care of it properly then the spore can open and grow to a level to cause botulism uh, and and other things and make people sick so no when you make your your infused oils you make it fresh every friggin day and then you throw it away if you don't use it then you make it fresh tomorrow and then you throw it away you know botulism grows to 38 degrees certain botulism strains so our refrigerators are 41 degrees so if you put it in the fridge it still allows for the botulism to grow okay and then there's other bacteria also that grow in the refrigerator we'll get into that later but uh make it fresh small batch cooking make it fresh throw it away at the end of the day um you know keep it keep it uh right um and now the finally are sliced melons cut tomatoes and cut leafy greens fresh leafy greens that have been cut shredded sliced chopped or torn so those have made the list there was a big outbreak in 2008 on tomatoes there was in 2011 there was the melons um, lettuce is happening all the time we have uh, the romaine lettuce recalls this week and last week and last year so it's a continuous thing we always worried about meats and poultry and and you know protein uh, animal products but really you see by this list 
it's everywhere. All these foodborne illness outbreaks can be caused by these things. And that's why this list of items has made the list of potentially hazardous food, which are TCS foods, foods that need time and temperature control for safety. Okay, uh, employees need to know how to properly sanitize equipment and prevent cross-contamination of ready-to-eat foods by wearing powder-free disposable gloves when working with hands. So you have to be able to wash, rinse, sanitize, and air dry. When you wash things, it's with soap. Soap is a sur surfactant, and it grabs onto those particulates. It, they, the soap and water, warm water, warm soapy water, and you scrub, and it, it helps to grab onto the oily stuff, and it helps to grab onto the particulate stuff. And then you rinse, and then that soap, which has grabbed onto those things, helps it go away, right? So you wash with hot soapy water or warm soapy water, and then you rinse to get rid of that stuff because the soap has grabbed onto it and kind of locked it in, and now when you rinse, it all goes away. And then you sanitize. So certain things we wash and rinse, like our hands, Okay, we don't sanitize our hands usually, but we just wash and rinse to get rid of the stuff. Then in this portion of the TTP, it says uh, prevent cross-contamination of ready-to-eat foods by wearing powder-free disposable gloves when working with hands. So if you're going to work with hands, then you wear the appropriate gloves, the right size, because uh, you know if it's too big, you can cut. If it's too small, they'll rip, um, things like that. But you really have to train your people to wash, rinse, sanitize, and air dry. When it comes to food allergies, we'll get to later, food allergen, the protein, the microscopic protein is not alive, so you can't kill it. So just sanitizing an area isn't good enough because when you just sanitize, then you haven't gotten rid of that protein. You have to wash and rinse to get rid of that protein. That soap has to grab onto that protein and then wash it down the drain or you know get it off of the table or uh, some of the big pieces of equipment. So wash and rinse to get rid of the allergen and other things, and then sanitize to reduce the levels of other bacteria to acceptable levels. Okay, remember in my one of the other podcasts, I talked about sterilization at the doctor. When you get a, um, an operation, they're going to sterilize your equipment, which kills everything. But we sanitize, which is reducing the levels of the pathogen or the bacteria to acceptable levels. So it, it doesn't kill everything, but it, it reduces it to acceptable levels. And that's what our quats is for, and that's what our bleach is for, or chlorine and iodine if we use it. Okay, and the next one is employees are properly trained in food safety. So part of uh, CSA school is to do the, um, the food safety uh, session and that's been happening for many years, which is based on the sanitation manual. And now this year, we've this is our third or fourth one coming. Um, it's the uh, SurfSafe, which is from the National Restaurant Association's Educational Foundation. And again, this is the pilot program for a year to see if it's uh, a positive thing. Um, and so it's the initial and ongoing training with this one. The students actually get their certificate, which is a nationally recognized certificate. It's an ANSI and Conference for Food Protection uh, recognized. And so it's a really terrific thing. I've been trying to get this going for the past 10 years that I've been here. 
And in those 10 years, uh, you know, I kept talking to certain instructors. It's like, hey, I need you to get certified. And, oh, yeah, I want to do it. I want to do it. And then they never do it. And I get it. You know, it takes time, effort and energy. And I've been trying because it just is an extra good thing for you guys to have the certification. And eventually you guys are going to get out. You're going to either retire out after 20 or 30 or whatever it is. But as soon as you get out, you're going to continue to be cooking and, you know, maybe you're only four years in or, or eight years in, whatever, you're going to get out. And if you're going to be a cook, when you show up with your resume, they want the SurfSafe or they want the National Registry or they want the uh, NEHA uh, Prometric. So they want a certificate. And if you do it now and you become an instructor now, you know, you're above everybody else. So that's what I've been trying to push for a long time because I really want the people I work with to be, you know, to have that because I think... I think it's a positive thing, um, and a lot of people, you know, they, they, they don't care about the food safety stuff. They just want to play with the food and, and do fancy food stuff, and which is great too, but uh, anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. Okay, the next one is employees are aware of their responsibility to report information about their health as it relates to disease transferable through food. So... Employees are aware of their responsibility to report information. So they're supposed to. So when, so the PIC podcast that I just did, uh, well, I did it in 2015 and I updated it and put it back up um, this weekend. But reportable disease, there's the big six that we talk about. And that's another podcast. I have the big six. So we have, we have uh, the uh, the Ella sisters. So we have Shigella, we have Salmonella typhi, and we have Salmonella non-typhoidal. And then we have E. coli. <clears throat> Those are the four bacteria that we're worried about in the big six. Those are the big, um, there, there's a whole bunch of other bacteria that I'll get into. But the big six are the Ella sisters. So there's Shigella, Salmonella typhi, which is the human strain, non-typhoidal Salmonella, which is everything else, chicken and the egg and everything else. E. coli, uh, intestine of animals, it gets, so the poo gets onto the animal, so it can be from birds, it can be from cows, it's normally associated with hamburger, but what's going on right now? We're having romaine, uh, E. coli and romaine uh, lettuce, so the feces gets in the water, the water gets out onto the crops, so those are the four bacteria, and then the two viruses are norovirus, which we call the cruise ship virus, or the nursing home virus, so talking about the cruise ship industry, and as I'm listening back, I'm looking at, uh, uh, we're talking about norovirus, and so I went online and I found, what did I find? This is from the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the outbreak updates for international cruise ships. So the Vessel Sanitation Program, the VSP, which I talked about in a different, um, different podcast. Um, so I went through and there's a study from 1994 all the way up to 2019. And in 1994, norovirus, uh, Shigella, Legionella happened in 1994. 1995 was Salmonella, Shigella, and E. coli. Uh, in 1996 was norovirus two times, three times, and E. coli. 1997 was E. coli, uh, one, two, two times. Norovirus was four times. Cyclospora, right? That's a parasite in the water. Uh, 1998, we had four of the norovirus. Uh, 
and uh, a couple of E. coli. 1999, we had five norovirus. 2000, we had four norovirus and salmonella. 2001, we had three norovirus. 2002, this is where it starts getting interesting because in 2002, now they're testing and reporting a whole lot more. So 2002, there was 13 norovirus. There was Giardia, there was Salmonella, Shigella, Sapovirus, E. coli, and uh, I already said Shigella. In 2003, there was do, 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 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 norovirus outbreaks. And then there was some other that weren't specifically identified, but there was 11 of those. So 15 norovirus plus 11 more of something that happened. Now in 2004, I'm hammered here with all this information. We have 15, 16, 17 noroviruses. Uh, the specials, we had two E. coli is there. Unknown, unknown. There's six unknowns, seven unknowns, uh, 10 unknowns. Specials, noro specials. Okay. So 12 unknowns. So they don't identify it, but if there was uh, 16, 17 noroviruses and then 10 unknown, that's 27 illnesses in 2004. 2005, we had 14 noroviruses. Salmonella, unknown, unknown. Uh, 2006, there was 32 norovirus outbreaks on ships, one E. coli and four unknown. In 2007, there were 17 noroviruses. There was a Shigella, a Salmonella, an Enterobacter, and Enteomoeba histolicta. In 2008, 13 noroviruses and two E. coli's. 2009, I had 10 noroviruses, one Cyclospora, which is the parasite in the water, and then E. coli again. In 2010, we had eight noroviruses and six unknowns. In 2011, we had 10 noroviruses. In 2012, we had 16 noroviruses. In 2013, there was 10 noroviruses. 2014, there was eight. 2015, there was 13 of them. In 2016, there was 10 of them. 2017, there was nine. 2018, there was five. And then this year, which is 2019, so far there's been eight noroviruses reported with the Vessel Sanitation Program on international cruise ships. So this is international cruise ships. So the point is, is that you guys, my Coast Guard friends, are on boats. And when one person gets sick, when you start touching things with your poop fingers, um, it can transfer and it can, it can shed off and it can get into other people. We talk about norovirus not only as poop, as, as feces that gets into the food supply and uh, they call it the fecal oral route. It's also the vomit. So with norovirus, it's coming out both ends very quickly within a couple of hours, right? So you're, 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 you're uh, having diarrhea, terrible diarrhea, plus you're vomiting. And when you go to clean that stuff up, because if somebody vomits on the deck, 
you're not supposed to breathe it, right? You're supposed to get absorbent material and put it on top. You're supposed to wear a mask, gloves, eye protection. You don't want this stuff and you don't want to breathe it because once you breathe it, then you get the, the uh, virus inside you also. So it can be from the feces. It can also be from just breathing the airborne virus. Once it's, it's vomited out, it kind of floats there for a minute and then you walk through and breathe it. So be real careful when you're cleaning it up. Um, but I wanted to talk about the cruise ships and the VSP, Vessel Sanitation Program, for the uh, cruise ship industry. And because you guys are on the water also, I wanted to include this. All right, thank you. And I'll insert this into that spot. The cruise ship industry, they are not going to be too happy with this. But uh, So the study is from the CDC. And in that, there's, they did a study from 2008 to 2014, um, 74 million cruisers, right? 74 million people go on cruises internationally. And of that, it's almost 130,000 foodborne illnesses. So in the scheme of things, it's not that much, really. But the numbers that I gave a few uh, just a minute ago... Um, kind of makes you think because it's always there. So when people are locked together, it's there. So 129,678 foodborne illnesses reported in the VSP on cruise ships. And we also have uh, uh, hepatitis A virus. So the viruses or feces again, gets into the water, gets into the shellfish. And then when you have oysters, all of a sudden you're vomiting or diarrhea or you turn yellow after two months because it's affecting your liver and it gives you jaundice. So if you're diagnosed by a doctor here in the TTP, it says employees are aware of their responsibility to report about their health as it relates to disease transferable through food, which are the big six. Those are the reportable diseases that you're required to report on yourself. And if, if, uh, if you're diagnosed by a doctor, the only person that can diagnose is a doctor, so you're diagnosed, then the employee has to be excluded from working with food. Okay, And that's where the PIC, the person in charge, comes in because they pay attention, they watch their people, and they make decisions based on the information they get from their employees. And finally, uh, food service equipment and spaces are maintained in clean and sanitary conditions. So that was section B, relevant personnel. That was that. And then um, part of that on the next page is medical department. So per reference, Coast Guard Medical Manual, Commandant's 6000 series, the medical department or assigned command representative is responsible for conducting sanitation inspections, including a daily walkthrough inspection and a weekly full inspection of the food service operations. So every day there's a walkthrough and every week there's a full inspection. And this is in the TTP, okay? Medical screening of military and civilian food service personnel upon initial assignment for disease or unclean habits that could result in foodborne illness. So there's, what is it, that form 600 that you guys have? You, you're screened by your medical uh, professionals to determine that you do not have um, any of the reportable diseases, no symptoms and signs, and haven't been diagnosed by a doctor. And then for the civilians, same thing. We have to be screened before we take our positions 
um, and, and there has to be uh, documentation saying that they were uh, cleared for service. Okay, so that's good for now. This is um, the U.S. Coast Guard's TTP, Tactics, Techniques, and Procedures for Food Safety and Sanitation, <clears throat> Chapter 3, Section A, B, and C. And I'm going to stop, I'm sorry, A and B. I'll do Section C in the follow-up podcast, but I want to get this one up and out. And this is uh, 30 minutes uh, ish, so I'll get this up and out, and then I'll add the next one as I uh, as I find time. All right, thanks very much. All my best, Mr. Feldman, Food Safety EDU.